We're back. Hey. <laughs> Again. <laughs> take two of this intro. Take one. Which is timely <laughs> the because second time. it's take right. two of this interview. Oh, we didn't plan that. See, I did plan that. You just didn't know I had this oh, special surprise yeah, planned for well, you. Amid the frustrations. <laughs> no. So, but Alan, this one really yeah. is special. Yeah, very special. So this week is Alan Newberry, mm-hmm. whom you may know. Well, you know him Newberry as Alan Knives, Newberry. Alan, but, yeah. Uh, we also know him as a winner of Forged in Fire. Yep. So that's cool. History Channel shout out. But <laughs> why this why this guest is so special for us is Alan was actually the very first person we ever interviewed mm-hmm. for this podcast, and he was super gracious with his time yeah. and letting us kind of bumble through the process. Mm-hmm. And the interview really was amazing, but our ability to capture sound not was yeah <laughs> less. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we we captured something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we ended up going back and redoing this interview, and it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm super excited about Alan Newberry's interview mm-hmm. round two. But if you're a Patreon member, yeah. which you can do for as little as $1, one dollar a month, a buck a month, twelve bucks get, a year, Daniel. You can get twelve dollars a year. <laughs> Don't make it sound so pricey. Oh, it's not uh, <laughs> less That's than the cost of one T-shirt a year. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> But you can get access to the original Mm -hmm. uncut interview with Alan Newberry, which is, well, I mean, it's our first go at it, and it's it's pretty interesting, and we cover ground there that we don't Mm -hmm. cover the second time. Um, And that one's just like a full uncut. It's probably almost a two-hour thing. We were there for a while. But, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, this week, Alan Newberry. Mm -hmm. But before that, don't forget, go to lookwhatidid.net. Yep. And... Sign up for our emails. We're about to start sending out, I think, Ooh, yeah. kind of a newsletter. But that mm-hmm. that's probably the best way for us to make sure that you're getting timely information. Right. So, and we also open a new store. Yeah. Get a, it's not new. We well, we have store. some. <laughs> we have some coffee cups or whatever you want to call stickers. it. Cup stickers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so, definitely go to lookwhatidid.net mm-hmm. and check it out there. Plus, we have some great photos of past guests, and we have photos of Alan's yes. shop and some of Alan's mm-hmm. knives. Take a look um, at the gallery. It's yeah. it's it's really good. We've put a lot of time and effort into oh, that, yeah. that web. Plenty. Web <laughs> site, yeah. Um, but we also want to thank our Patreon Patreons. supporters. Yeah. So We're just going to switch off with, like, James and Alan, Brian, Start over. Okay. <laughs> our, our, our Patreons. Patreon. People. Allison. Where are you looking? At the Debbie. Top left. <laughs> Brian. Cindy. Alan. James. Chad. Thanks, guys, yeah, for the supporting best, the work that we do. One of our people. Patreons actually flew in from New York yeah. just to see us do this work. Just to, just to see yeah. us work here. Say hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. That's him. See, that's that's not us making a voice. <laughs> no, no. But it could be. You wouldn't know. It could, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's uh, check out this with Alan. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, we're back. Are we golden? Hi. Pony boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Dally? There's an Outsiders Museum in Tulsa. Yeah, that's where it was filmed and written. No, I know, but yeah. I mean, I know Admiral. those parts. I didn't know there was a museum for it. I and no. now I'm going back. <laughs> uh, I'd go. Sounds awesome. But we will start with who you are and what you do. Whoa, <laughs> we've started. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am Alan Newberry. I am a bladesmith 
and then a guy who just does a bunch of weird stuff, has kids. Oh. Tied those really closely together. Do weird stuff that produces <laughs> kids. <laughs> I have a cookie maker. It just punches little gingerbread kids out. <laughs> I, I don't think that's actually how it happens. Well, that's why only have uh, one. It's what my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> All we need is a gingerbread cookie. Cutter. I once was a science teacher. I could explain it here. Were you really a science to. teacher? Well, I, I taught at a small school, so I taught just about everything but English for a couple years. For Wait, you were like a like a licensed, here you go, teacher? Yeah. I didn't, know, I didn't know this everything. about you. Ooh. Oh, wow! Very intimidated all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, forget the big hammer and forge. <laughs> forget the red hot fire surrounding I'm me. Uh-huh. I'm back at high school and everybody's judging <laughs> yeah. me. But now with awe because we're old and realize we should have paid attention more. Oh God! Yeah, now, I'm going to say the elephant in the room. I'm going to yeah. say that uh, for the audience at home, Alan was actually our very first interview, mm-hmm. but we didn't know what we were doing, oh, and so we? the audio levels. <laughs> Are not fantastic, and yeah. now at this point we've recorded, I don't know, a dozen or so interviews, Plus. and mm-hmm. we thought we'd come back, but that's why everybody's being weird, is because mm-hmm. we feel like we've talked about this before, and now we're rehashing mm-hmm. it, yeah. but I think it'll kind of be fun to like, things have changed since then for yeah, us, I think probably mm-hmm. for you, your shop looks totally different. I mm-hmm. did move a few things around. Yeah. Got a few things. And got some new tools. I did. New tools. It's and you've important. done some classes? I have done some classes in here since then. Gotcha. It's a lot of fun. It does seem very more mobile friendly. Yeah, like, I did. I somehow I brought in more stuff and then have more room. I'm not real sure how that works, but it did. Mm-hmm. Addition through subtraction. Yeah. No. <laughs> addition through addition. Subtraction through addition. <laughs> Wait, yes. Addition yes. through addition. That yes. makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I probably accidentally stumbled on some feng shui <laughs> without really knowing what that is. I feel like that's how feng shui would just. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I know with the feng shui is like you're supposed to keep your toilet seat down. What? I didn't know or that. Up. I think it's down. Down. Pretty sure. That would be way everyone. easier yeah. for me to accomplish. <laughs> so I will never have feng shui or flush shui. <laughs> I'll just oh, have... <laughs> you'll be flushing keys away and phones and. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, but for for us, we've had this conversation. Yeah. But for some people, they won't. Obviously, have had this conversation. So I do think we should probably at least like how you got into knife making because. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not something a lot of people wake up and they're like, I'm going to make knives. No. Sure. Well, I, I liked knives as a kid. And then kind of growing up, you go to like Silver Dollar City and they have a guy who will make a knife. And so at some point, I think in college, I tried to hammer one out without any knowledge whatsoever, aside from having watched a guy once or twice. And it didn't really work out. Like just cold metal hammer something out? Or no, did you I, actually I, have some I had a of... forge. Okay. I had a forge. It's actually oh. sitting over there. And I have the anvil that I used as well. My dad uh, collected antique tools back in the day, and so he had them. So I tried it out without knowing what I was doing and made something kind of knife-shaped, but out of inappropriate steel, not knowing anything about heat treating, and then eventually kind of gave up on it. But then, you know, fast forward several years, and the internet has happened, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can just look stuff up. And talk to people. And so I found a knife maker that was living close by, Tom Crine. And Dan Coster was also working in his shop then, and I guess works in his shop again now. Um, and they both helped me out through like my first actual, uh, probably like 10 knives, something like that. And helped to get through the, uh, the sucking curve. Because I guess if you make anything, <laughs> you start anything, you suck at first. 10,000 hour works. rule. 
you need you 10,000 hours, you can, right? You can get better at something way before 10,000 hours. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's... I guess 10,000 hours is to be an expert. Right. You don't have to be an expert at things to be decent at them, but... <laughs> I think it's in the names. <laughs> some, some, yeah. Yeah, so, some things are, are easier than others. Right. Um, but, yeah, they, they... I definitely recommend learning from crafts from people if you can yeah so i mm-hmm. i teach classes and there's lots of other people that teach classes and if you can find a, a class that you can afford and get to chances are you'll maybe be able to get through that suck curve in like a week or a weekend and get to something decent versus the maybe two years later you're not making something that's garbage <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fair i think and we talked to some other people as we've interviewed like the ability to have somebody standing over your shoulder and watching the mistake you're as you're making it. Mm-hmm. So they're not oh, yeah. guessing how you got to that mistake, right? If you right. showed, if you took a knife to Tom crying later and said, Hey, I made this and he's looking at it and sees a defect in some way, he has to kind of assume maybe some of the things that could have led to that. Right. He has to play detective. Right. To figure and out so if they're doing. there in person, they can watch the accident as it occurs and course correct right then, which is a much more, the feedback loop is so tight that it's going to speed up that learning process. Right. And if yeah. you have a question, you're not cruising through the internet looking at, at answers cat from videos. some guy that's oh been gosh. doing it for a month. <laughs> yeah. His suck curve is slightly less than your suck curve. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's definitely, if you can get somebody else to help you out, but there's tons of information on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Especially making knives now, you can watch YouTube videos. And, and a person can get through the suck curve on their own. But it's way easier to have somebody else help you through that. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I think community, right? Like just mm-hmm. the connections that you have over time and building those relationships. Some people do it for a solitary, I think have their hobby or whatever oh, because definitely. it's kind of their downtime. But I think for most, I've enjoyed doing this podcast, just getting to know people that do stuff I would never normally consider doing or mm-hmm. I had never thought of as a thing to do or whatever. And just meeting those people has been, it fuels your creative. Oh yeah. Desire. I think as well, you know, I left here last time and watched probably 40 <laughs> Alex Steele videos and sat around like, how am I going to make a forge? What can I make into an anvil? Anvils are really mm-hmm. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you can use a big block of steel. Yeah. Yep. You said that or last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which we've talked about. Yes, we yeah. have. Uh, well, we've talked about making a forge. <laughs> if you, if you, you actually being a friend of mine, needed an anvil, I could probably loan you one or something that would work. I have a piece of railroad track sitting right over there. there I think mm-hmm. we have a piece of railroad yeah, track somewhere at my uh, my dad's house, my mom and dad's house. He's yeah. got a section. So I think something that some people might not know is that you were actually a contestant on a little television show some people watch. Forged in fire. Yeah, I think I recall doing something along those lines. Yeah, <laughs> like a vague memory. Yeah, kind of a Not flash. The, of it wasn't the voice or American yeah. Idol. <laughs> how, how did you get yeah. on that show? Was that just a submission? Like you? Um, well, they, they had. They you can submit forms. So usually, whenever it comes around to filming time, they'll probably put stuff up on Facebook and whatnot nowadays. But back in the early days, it was recommendations and that sort of thing. Um, but, and then they go through kind of a, an interview process of forms and Skype interviews and all that kind of fun stuff. And then, uh, next thing you know, you're on an airplane to Brooklyn, which is where they filmed it then. Now I think they're filming it maybe in Connecticut or somewhere Mm. else. So they've actually, you got the cool season. Yeah. I think they moved to a a different location. 
Gotcha. Yeah, it was a cool place, but in my case, you know, you're just tired, and then you you eat something, and then you go go to bed, and then you, <laughs> your airplane gets there and really early in the morning, so you're having to wake up at like four or something so you can catch your airplane to head back home. How, did you do all that filming in one day? That had to be like a couple days. No, it's several days, but and it's it's uh it's just kind of a. Uh, it's an honest process as far as far as like the time limits go. Right. But there's a ton of time in between where you're getting interviewed. Yeah. And oh, they're geez. setting things up mm-hmm. and so you're waiting for everything to be ready. Right. And then but once that three hours is up on the clock, it's it's straight up a three hours. Is that is it weird to use like totally it's not your setup, right? So like the I'm assuming the forge heats up well, they're probably, I don't know. I mean, is it different to what, like, I feel like it would be weird for me to walk into somebody else's shop and just, even though I know how the tools work, the yeah, layout's different, different, the, like, they may not have something I'm used to using, whether mm-hmm. it's better or inferior or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a really a hard situation because you're, you're in there and, you know, they'll give you a walkthrough and show you where stuff's at, but they didn't necessarily show you everything. Right. And if they did show you stuff, maybe you don't remember the thing that you didn't know you needed until you broke Where's something. Where's the power button to this? Oh. Right. Or, you know, stuff like that. Just it, things happen and it's it's not your shop. It's not your tools. So it's 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 crazy and it's it's tripped up a lot of people. They've had mastersmiths on there that, you know, go out in the first round. And then they've had mastersmiths too that have gone on and won. But just just saying it's a it's a terribly difficult thing. Right. It looks easy on TV. You know, you don't see everything that's going on. And it's high pressure. It's probably 120 degrees in there. Jeez. Um, they turn off the air conditioners, and they've got three forges running. So, <laughs> And you're standing in between two of them. <laughs> so it's, wow. so it's kind of rough. Yeah. Why do they turn off the air conditioning? Well, because it's loud. Kind of like I turned uh, off my fan here. Yeah. no, I, <laughs> It's loud, enough. and the forges and hammering's going on. It's <laughs> right. like the least of their worries. It's hey, like would, uh, yeah. heat stroke, AC. Well, there's a buzzing in the mic. We just can't. I've seen a couple people on the show go out from heat stroke. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, I would I would never say they do it on purpose, but it does make for better television. Uh, <laughs> fair, fair. So we shouldn't do that now. What, actually, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> oh. This will be a 20 minute uh, interview and yeah. done. What, Bye. Watching you on that, I one I think your your personality really carried over. Like it, like the person on TV genuinely was the Alan I know, right? Like that very kind of seemingly calm, collected, methodical, just sort of like I'm doing this thing. So I think the show it doesn't seem to be heightening drama in that way. Like the drama really is kind of in the process of trying to do this thing really fast. I'm sure there's some elements maybe that are more amped up because people are trying to win a contest. You know, you have mm-hmm. those pieces coming into it. Um, it did you do anything to prepare for that going into the show? Like, what did you do to stay kind of... I think it's hard when cameras are turned on to not feel like you're oh. on the spot, you know? Mm-hmm. And you felt very comfortable when you watch it. I don't think I was too bad. I mean, I was just really focused on the task. Um, I think I came off pretty good, considering. I mean, I think I ended up making like a real... Like, kind of a an ugly but functional weapon in the end, <laughs> which won. was kind of annoying. <laughs> but Functional is really all that matters, Spoiler right? alert. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler we alert. We can burn that ward off. <laughs> oh. Freeze that ward off. Too, he didn't, no, too much of English. this uh, yes. low sugar Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, I I did win, so that that eases the pain of it. But mm-hmm. the uh, yeah, it's kind of I made an ugly thing due to you know equipment's failing and it's it's things just aren't working oh, right. Yeah, because your blower went out. Yeah, the boat yeah. blower went out on the forge. My power hammer stuff was breaking mm-hmm. on that. Did you come back to that? house for a couple days to film yeah well yeah you get you get like uh it's like four and a half days basically you can't work on it at night so you know a lot of people would think man if they would just work a little longer or harder right. but you can't because it makes sense that the crew's not going to want to be there at 2 a.m oh geez but you could, you could work in off camera and just be like no, they won't let hey, you. Hey, I did. Is there did a they guy take sitting your here with... watching yeah, they, you? Yeah, they don't let you. They're like There's confiscating like it. Johnny like, just sits here. here in the garage, like just oh staring at everything. Staring at you. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm They're just sleeping in the garage <laughs> to keep an eye on me. Hey, you sure were making beer the last time we were here. How did that turn uh-huh. out? It was mead. Mead. Oh, yes. So how did it turn out? It's mead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep bubbling for years. <laughs> It'll still be in there. Tasty, though? Yeah, it's not bad. Good, good. It's nice to know. Yeah, see, so that's stuck the, with your commitments. Doing a bunch of like weird stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, I like the, weird all the, stuff. What did we have? We had a mascot. It was uh, Ash riding a unicorn motor. No, Ash riding a motorcycle with a falcon on the. That oh, was man. your. Yeah, that, that'd be oh, an excellent T-shirt. So if anybody's <laughs> out there, <laughs> one of the people we talked to is actually a graphic designer. I there think we go. can get that. Except shirt don't made. make it Ash, make it me. Make it Alan riding right. a motorcycle I mean, with a falcon can, on yeah, it. Yeah, you give me a falcon. There are people in this go. room no, that Alan, can do that for as you. A, as our first, <laughs> that's true, actually. And as our first guest and the person who welcomed us back after our failure <laughs> the first Wait. time to get it on <laughs> yeah. audio, Lloyd. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called. Not celluloid, but yeah. Yeah, audioloid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tape. Yeah. We'll see if we the can come up. Real we'll the real the real. We'll see if we can come up with a with an Allen shirt. There Dude, you that's go. such a good idea. Yeah. Do I get a free one if I come our, up with this shirt for you? Probably. Okay. Yeah. What are you gonna draw? <laughs> Have you seen Daniel's drawings? <laughs> Well, so Alan, <laughs> have you seen caveman drawings? Yeah, some caveman paleo era they're guy. Not that, they're not that like good. Hold my beer or mead. Oh my god! Because you can't draw. Drawing a spear. Uh. So we're like, when it comes to, so you just start with a blank piece of steel, right? And that's got to. Like, are you the person that's? designing something and then you make to that design or are you a person that kind of like holds something and like I'm going to chip away what shouldn't be here and the real knife is within as I work on it like how well ideally you have a design before I know some people <laughs> want to say you know I want to wait for it to see what it speaks to me right and I kind of did that a little bit in the forged and fire <laughs> thing because I drew like three different uh scenarios right but what I was doing was seeing how much steel I end up with out of there, so I had kind of different options. So I had a hidden tang version in case I didn't get very much steel, and then I had full tang versions that I ended up doing. Um, but ideally, you have drawn out the knife before you make it and have like a full sized drawing of the knife with the handle and everything. That's the oh, so best. You'll do like that's the best paper way if you're making like a bigger. Right, or I have I have a big notebook yeah. that fits at least knife-sized things. Now, right. if you want to go into swords, then, yeah, I have some mm-hmm. butcher paper kind of stuff that comes cool. into play on those things. So ideally, you do that, especially if you're making something really nice. But then sometimes you're making a general shape. So if I'm 
say say you're making a 10 inch Bowie, you know what a Bowie shape is and right. you kind of make it to that. And so some of that you might be feeling around with it. You might look at it and say, ah, oh, the tip would look better a little lower or higher and you can fudge it up and then say, oh, well, I don't like that. And the good thing with forging is you can then fudge it right back down <laughs> if if that doesn't look good. Right. So it's a, it's a mixture of both. But, I mean, ideally you go in there with the plan. Otherwise, you know, you're you're going to waste some time in propane. So, like talking about this drawing, everything, you know, like drawing it out. Do you carry like a notebook with you? Is it in the car? Is it in your pocket? Where do you where are you keeping these ideas drawn? I do actually. I I carry. I've got a wallet slash one of those field notes Mm -hmm. type things, so that I can, you know, if you're sitting somewhere and people are talking, you can kind of draw knives and stuff. Like right now. Is that yeah, what you're doing that, with that notebook? Except I don't know. I feel like there's too many people watching me to get away <laughs> with this camera he's, now. He's secretly writing, this sucks. <laughs> so That's what I'm doing over here. Do you have like a like a a knife idea file? And when, like I feel like making a knife and I'm just going to go to this file and see what's in there that looks cool. Or are there times when it's, I want to make something and then you come out here or whatever and like sit down and start thinking from beginning to end? Like both, how does Both things? happen. I've actually, you probably can see... Over there on top of that black yep. heat treating oven, there's a stack of notebooks and paper. Yeah. So I I do both. I have like little scribblings on, on a knife that should be like 15 inches long. Maybe I've drawn it two inches long. And then I'll, I'll have to work at that to get it bigger. Maybe I blow it up on a copy machine, which is a handy thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Um, or I draw it bigger and then blow it up or draw it the actual size it should be. But... Both both of those things happen. It could be that okay. Now I'm going to make say I can I can recall I made I've made one sword at this point, so that was very much I'm going to sit down, and well not really sit down as standing up for the sword because everything's big with the sword. <laughs> right, yeah. So I looked at it. I I actually had a couple swords that I was looking at, you know, that I kind of liked, and so I was borrowing things from that, and then I'm looking at images of swords from kind of a you know style that I like and combining things from them and taking measurements and kind of putting my own spin on it. Are you doing any sort of like digital design, laying them out to, to print or keeping that there to work out all the I don't, details? but it's mm-hmm. it's handy. I just mm-hmm. haven't really learned okay. the, the programs. So for yeah. me, it's just rulers and paper mm-hmm. and that kind of thing for the most part. I know something I've heard recently that I had never really thought about, but it makes sense is like 3D printing knife shapes on a 3d printer. Cause you could right? like you could see how, I guess the one that I saw was, uh, Evan and Caitlin. Have you guys seen that YouTube channel? It's like sure. a husband and wife team that makes mm-hmm. stuff. And they wanted to do like a, almost like a laser cut somehow handle kind of thing for pretty much a store-bought knife kit, like a Rockwood mm-hmm. knife kit or something. And, but I think Alec, they may have partnered with Alec Steele on that one, but anyway, they, they 3d printed the handle cause it was going to be out of metal. And that way they could see like, how strengths and kind of tensions would all work and if that would actually physically close and lock and mm. whatever, cause they were making kind of a custom made handle. But then somebody else was talking about using it to print out a knife shape to see, I guess how it would look once actually a physical thing. Or I maybe don't know. feel too. feel. Yeah, that, yeah. I guess that would make sense. Huh. I don't remember who was talking about it. Yeah, it may have can, been a Duresta thing. Yeah, there's a ton but, of advantages to the 3D printing thing these days. 
Um, actually, I was at a knife show this past weekend, and another Forged in Fire guy, Alan Kirby, he he had, uh, was it the 1918, like a trench war, um, World War One type fighting knife, like a trench knife. Yeah. It's actually like brass knuckles right, with yeah. a knife coming out of it. It's mm, kind of like a little pointy there. Yep. So it was... 1918 so now we're at like 2018 so he was making a rendition of that and i think he actually 3d printed his uh kind of form for that piece. and then yeah. cast it uh, in brass see that's what i was running through my mind oh, is like casting ca- yeah that makes like sense. a uh what do they call it a lost or a lost wax casting. lost wax casting yeah, i've actually been playing yeah. around with casting the past few weeks mm-hmm. so i've that's i haven't right. been doing lost wax casting i've been doing delft clay casting and I have carved wax with it, but you don't melt the wax out. It's basically sand casting, mm-hmm. but it's a kind of a finer thing, and people use it for jewelry. Right. Are, um, you, are you wearing the ring that you cast? Oh, actually, I am. I'm yeah, over here playing with I'd... wood. This is this is kind of a weird one. This is uh, just my. Uh, I've been melting down jewelry, so this is this is like my chunk of gold for making stuff. Here, mm-hmm. I'll pass it over. You're gonna have to pass it back though. Um, so basically with that one, I thought, okay, I can have this little chunk of gold sitting in my safe. It looks like the one true ring. It, a, a lot of people have said that, <laughs> except Drop it's, it it's a lot rougher, but it, it has the feel. It looks to like the it one true ring of, before it's inscribed. Maybe. The, it's kind of more polished than this one. This one, I'm, I kind of made a rough shape so that whenever I cast it, I left the parting line on there mm-hmm. from the mold and everything so that I wouldn't have to file things off so that I wouldn't waste gold. Cause the whole point is, is it's like a chunk of gold bullion for me to make something else with so that I could melt it again, you know, the next week if I wanted to make something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a great idea, except that I like my ring too much now. <laughs> yeah. So but at first cool. you were it like, oh, good. it's kind of rough, you know? And mm-hmm. then I was like, actually, I kind of like that. It's like honest. It kind of shows the process of how it I, came yeah. to be. So mm-hmm. it, it grew on me. I saw you were doing that. There's a whole lot of other people on like Instagram and YouTube that I follow that they do that. And it's always been very interesting to me because you have to see a lot of that in a, in the negative side of what you're filling up, you know, with Mm -hmm. the, uh, with the material. So you were doing it. I was like, Oh, this is cool. Can't wait to show up and see it. But yeah, it's one of those things like I'd wanted to do it for years and then Mm -hmm. said, all right, well, I'm just going to actually order the stuff and do it. And then, here lately, like that's been my thing. I'm just gonna do everything that I wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, time's running out. Might as, as well uh, do I was everything. Say, you're racing the clock on kids, right? Like maybe having am, to. Yes, my my the. Uh, I I may not have posed it this way before, mm-hmm. but you know I'm a, a bladesmith slash stay at home dad, and my uh, son is three, not that far from four. So I've got basically the rest of this school year, and then the <laughs> next school year. And then things are going to have to like actually be jobbish, right? So I'm going to have to make make knives that actually make money versus making the knives that I want to make. So hopefully I can do both. <laughs> but that would be a ideal. lot of times you end up making the ones that people want to buy a lot of instead of the one that does the cool process you want. Well, I know a person that you met recently, Michael Kraus, mm-hmm. and because you're doing some knife selling through like with in conjunction with their thing, right? Mm-hmm, with the, Doing the knife some stuff sharpening, on, yeah, all the that. knife sharpening mm-hmm. thing. So, I mean, you're getting out there. That's that's a step the right direction, right? Yeah, well, it's fun. Don't you have a? Correct me if I'm wrong. A couple of knives in a museum. I I do. I have a knife in the uh, historic Arkansas Museum in Little Rock. They have a knife exhibit, and but, but does it's the museum of, pay him to have? The no, but there? I mean, it's it's putting his name out there. It's true. So I mean, it that's. Is. 
I didn't know that that was even a thing. And then I saw you posting things on Instagram about it. Yeah, I was, I was like, pretty excited oh, cool. about it. And YouTube. That, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super awesome. Yeah, that, that knife collection has been an inspiration to me. Actually, the mm-hmm. knife that I made was inspired partially from the knives that I saw at that museum's mm-hmm. exhibit. So now it's in the exhibit with those knives, which I find to be particularly satisfying. It's also at that museum is where I took my uh, Journeyman Smith performance test. Okay. So Lynn Ray is a master smith that works at the museum and an excellent guy. And basically for the performance test for becoming a Journeyman Smith in the American Bladesmith Society, you have to um, cut through a rope two times. And uh, that's... Or wait, hold on. Is there a time limit on how long it takes to cut through the rope? Hold on, I just said this totally backwards. Hold on. (laughs) All right, so you cut through... Make the knife. (laughs) Yeah, first you make a knife. Okay. Knife is like 15 inches overall, 10-inch blade, and then you cut through two two two-by-fours. It doesn't have to be like one chop. (laughs) Like (laughs) samurai through. (laughs) Right. It can be 400 chops if you want, Mm -hmm. but after that, you also cut through a uh, one-inch hanging like hemp rope, and then... You have it still has to be shaving sharp, so you'll shave like a little arm hair with it, and then you put it in a vise and bend it ninety degrees without it breaking. So I did that there in front of a crowd, so Gosh. that was that was kind of fun, and that's where my my knife is now. So that's the first part. That's is the, it uh, that knife? Is it ninety degrees off a? No, it's a different knife. on the wall. It's a different knife. <laughs> you can throw it around a corner. <laughs> They should have a display of all the knives that get people to journeymen. They should. That would kind of oh be my cool, gosh. actually. It's like going to a tire shop and all the parts that they pull out of the tires. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a bunch of screws. Yeah. That sounds almost as harrowing as the Forged and Fire experience, honestly. I forgot probably... all about that part when you talked about it. Like, the bending it at 90 degrees, the look on Tyler's face is like, it's what? Well, it is intense, because I've, yeah. I've, I've seen several people do it, and I've seen it not work. Right. And, you know, you're Gosh. like, that was a cool knife up until that happened. And then it's it's a hard test, because the, the whole test is kind of putting opposing goals on mm-hmm. the knife. Because right. cutting through a rope, you want, like, really sharp and thin. So, like, mm-hmm. a, a chef's knife would probably work really good there. Right. right. Mm. But then cutting through a two-by-four, you're likely to leave a chunk of your chef's knife in the board. Yeah. You know? So, some so, weight. So it's it's con- contrasting, you know, and then it also with the bend. It's traditionally people do kind of like a hard edge and then soft spine. So it's kind of a specialized heat treat. It's not necessarily the heat treat that you're going to use for all of your knives, mm-hmm. but it's you know it's showing that you have a knowledge of how to do things and mm. how to think about these tests and come up with solutions for it. So it's kind of interesting. And then you have to take five knives to be judged either at the International International Custom Cutlery Exposition in Kansas City, which is actually coming up pretty soon, and or at the Blade Show in Atlanta. So then you take those five knives in there and they're judged by master smiths and then each one of them gives, you know, a pass fail, pass fail and if more of them say pass than fail, then you're in. And so that was successful for me, which I was happy about. So I'm proud to be a journeyman Smith. So when did you become a journeyman? Uh, when was that? That was actually like a year ago. Oh, okay. So fairly recent, all things. Mm-hmm. What's the step to master? So master. So then you put in two years as a journeyman Smith, and then you're allowed to test for master Smith. And then basically you do the same performance test, but you do it with, Damascus that has at least 300 layers 
And so, and also the knife has to be a hidden tang. And so you do that and then bend that knife. And so you've done that test. And then you do uh, five knives to be judged, but one of them has to be a European quillion dagger uh, with uh, Damascus blade. And it has to be, you know, not just a straight laminate Damascus. It has to have, you know, some sort of pattern to it and at least 300 layers and why a quillion dagger that seems like a random i don't even know well it's kind of it's kind of a tricky knife to build and it's it could be a very fancy knife um and tradition at this point Mm. right but kind of you have to have that one masterpiece type knife and then the other knives just have to be really exceptional as far as fit finish and design Mm. um so on the journeyman smith test if you, you're, it's okay if maybe you have a mistake here and there or something like, ah, oh, this could have been a little finer here or maybe this isn't quite right. But they don't want to see like the same mistake on all the knives. Right. And they don't want to see a bunch of mistakes. But when you're in Mastersmith, you have a mistake on any of them. Well, because they expect it, you to be a master right, of the master, craft. So right, it's the name, yeah. It's, it's very hard. I've seen sets of knives by extremely talented guys go in there that you're like, Oh my gosh, that's some of the most beautiful knives I've ever seen. And then they don't pass. So it, I, the pressure though, if there's a thousand journeyman knife makers, there's one master. There's like, like, I I can't remember the number. There's like 130 master smiths, I think. But what is that in perspective of how many journeymen? I'm not sure how many journeyman smiths there are. I mean, I would think it would be like under 500, you know, but oh, so one there's, in, there's definitely there's definitely more journeyman smiths than master smiths, but the but master one in five, smiths I mean, it's kind not... of it hovers because you know they they don't get too many of those. You get you know at Blade Show they might get fifteen new journeyman smiths and they might get two master smiths or something right. like that. So it's the journeyman smith numbers pile up a lot quicker. Yeah, but well. Well, you it's would the, expect and them the bar, to. I just, the, bar, the bar keeps getting higher. It's not that they change the standards, but the standards kind of get raised just from the fact that the quality keeps going up from everybody. Right. Wow. Well, we're here. The ish point. Yeah. We're halfway there. We're halfway. Mm-hmm. We're, we're make, halfway We're making it. We were oh. making it. Oh. Did we do that one last time? It just <laughs> no. jumps in my head every time. <laughs> I, it um, does me. Yeah, same. <laughs> same thing here. So, man. This is such a good interview. Yeah. 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 I, I love Alan. Yeah, he's, he's uh, really a super sweet guy. It's hard to have a favorite. Yeah. But this is one of them. It, <laughs> I'm not anyway, so um but we do want to say it's holidays. We're in oh, the holidays. Yep. We're in shopping time. Yeah. And you know what we have available? We have a mug yep. that hides your Irish coffee and makes yeah. it look like normal coffee. Mm-hmm. For anyone under the age of twenty one, it's a hot cocoa mug. Yeah, a hot cocoa mug. Yes. Right. But if you're over twenty one, yeah. Then it's a as you wish. Conceals Irish mm-hmm. coffee coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, for the holidays. Some of that. Get one for adult yourself and a friend. <laughs> yeah, why stop there? You know what? Want to get one? It for might your not neighbor. even be a reusable ceramic <laughs> mug. You may need to get a new one for every <laughs> cup of coffee you buy. You don't know. Yeah, if you don't like so, washing. But you can see that, and you can see photos of Alan's workshop oh, and yeah. Alan himself mm-hmm. and past guests at LookWhatIDid.net. Yep. So check that out. Make sure to uh, leave your email there yeah, as well. And sign up at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. And that's going to let us be in more direct contact with you. Mm-hmm. With news and upcoming things. Yeah. All right. Back to that. Sweet. You see this in a lot of things. Uh, 
from like a creative or hobbyist standpoint, I guess, of what we're able to get in a home shop is insane compared to 1980, right? Just Mm -hmm. the kinds of tools for, you know, I, I do a little bit of woodworking here and there and just the ability to have really in some cases, almost commercial grade equipment Mm -hmm. in your home shop is something I don't think that was like a very common thing. I mean, there's a lot of desktop tool or benchtop tools that, weren't even around in the eighties or seventies, unless you were fairly commercial or professional, what you did. And you're sitting in, I would think a very well-equipped blacksmith shop, all things considered. And I think when you see that that's possible, these, the, the internet has made finding a 1930s power hammer right? Like a doable thing Mm -hmm. where before you would have had to kind of luck into it and it might take you a decade to find something. You can amass a pretty good shop really, really quickly. And so it does make sense that like, because you're the tools that you have, the things you have at your disposal have gone up in, in quality you would have an expectation that the finished product probably needs to step up a little bit as well. The tools, um, maybe one factor, but I think the real factor is just the knowledge Oh, really? Out there. I mean, well, you know, I think back to whenever I started, and I already kind of shared, you know, started and it didn't really work out that great. But I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And to find out about it, you know, maybe, what, go to your local library and hope they had a book on knife making? <laughs> yeah. And that's just reading it. That's not even a practical knowledge. Right. You're seeing it happen. You right. know, like a working knowledge. Oh, I tried to learn knitting to. before mm-hmm. the internet, like before YouTube, yeah. and I had to learn from a book. That's insanely hard, actually, yeah. to learn like from a diagram that may or may not, because there's a lot of wrist movement in that. And so, yeah, I can't imagine trying to tackle something like... I mean, videos, YouTube has been, for anything I'm doing, I've watched it sometimes, you can, without any sound, to figure it out, you know, like what you're working mm-hmm. on, if it's something I'm doing, you know, it's, you just so happen to like stumble upon this one short video and it's like... Oh, right. How did that's any, the workaround? How did anybody mm-hmm. fix anything before YouTube? I mean, right? You have a problem with your car, yeah, and then you can figure out, oh, this is where I blow air into to clear out my air conditioner. You'd never figure that out nope. yourself. You right. know, you'd have to take it somewhere. That's where you go whatever. talk to Grandpa, and Grandpa's like, oh, Jack down the streets, the car guy. Like, right. go ask him. You chase a problem for a week and a half before right. you find an answer. Now you just Google it. Yeah, YouTube video mm-hmm. shows up. And then you actually have to do the and thing, which is mm-hmm. which answer, is the step that most people don't take, is the doing the thing. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a hurdle for me, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I did have a question about the, the heat treating, and this may sound mm-hmm. stupid. You it were does. saying, like, the different... I figured it no. would. That's why I'm asking it. This is for the listeners. They're not stupid. No, Both yeah, they, no. they know the Shh. answer already. And I'm not calling anyone <laughs> stupid, except for myself. So, for different knives, you said different types of heat treating. Mm-hmm. So that's based on the function of the knife you're making, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's like for cutlery, you know, or something that's going to be used to like cut down a tree, like if you're making an axe head, is it a different process for the heat treating for different types of applications? For Yeah, there is. Like, it, mm-hmm. Well, like where you're saying there, an axe has to be pretty tough, mm-hmm. whereas like a chef's knife needs to be pretty hard. So the chef's knives, I don't know if, if you guys have any fancy chef's knife, but you tend, you tend to have like little notches in your blade if you let people chop chicken bones with them and things like that. Whereas the, uh, your axe, you know, it can, it can handle a lot of stuff. It's kind of, it's, 
you know, it's it's a different edge geometry. It's a different heat treating, mm-hmm. uh, different steels. Right. And then the different steels have different heat treating. There's there's some steels where you know, like in the bladesmithing community, a lot of the steels that we use are something where you heat it up to a certain temperature, and then you quench it, and then you temper it. And you can have some other uh, normalizing type processes before the hardening as well. Um, but then if you're talking about stainless steels, a lot of those are take the steel to this temperature and let it sit for five minutes, then ramp it up to this temperature and let it sit for 20 minutes. And then, you know, they have, you know, different approaches to how they're hardened and they don't, they don't use quenching at all, mm-hmm. or you might quench in air. So it is different based on metals and the application. Mm-hmm. And also that means that when I go look at that $1,000 kitchen cutlery set, those knives, even though they look like they're matching, are actually, like the meat cleaver's a different steel from the chef mm-hmm. knife, from the steak um, knife. It probably isn't, you know, but it could be. But probably the the edge geometry is going to be different. So gotcha. a knife, a knife that you would be, you know... You know, cutting up a chicken, like if you're really chopping it like chicken bones and stuff, is going to be different than one that you're filleting out a fish with. Right. So one's going to be really thin and have a very sharp edge versus the, the one for really chopping stuff's going to be a little, the blade's going to be kind of fatter. Mm. And then the edge is not going to be quite as fine. So I'm under the impression that cool. the katana blade is kind of classically this really great blend between strong and extremely sharp. Am I wrong in this assumption? Um, it's at least the strong. Well, I, I was going to say it's the legend of it. You know, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're definitely a great blade, but I mean, I guess every blade shapes kind of got do, strengths and weaknesses. I right. Guess, but do, a, what do you think led to that? I mean, is it just that literally people just kind of preached it as being this great thing or do you think no, they're, that it has they're really a, good? They're definitely, uh, a blade that people thought about a lot. You know, they have construction with kind of soft parts and hard parts they worked really hard at making the steel where they're hammering it out. And they, they make the steel and then hammer it out into, you know, even like a million layers. And definitely a lot of thought went into it. It's kind of, I don't know, kind of a, let's say personification, but not really, that's the wrong word. But <laughs> a carrying over, like you look at a lot of the Japanese processes, like the when they have tea ceremonies and stuff like that. And a lot of that kind of carries over, I think, into the... The, the precision of it, and yeah, yeah. Of it. it's the art form. Yeah, it's it's it an, an art, art and a science. Yeah. You know, I think, mm. I think they they did a lot with those. So, in in your opinion or experience, shape of a knife is shape of a blade maybe is more important than even the metal being used necessarily. Maybe. It kind of depends. Well, I guess I'm like, if, uh, you know, if I were to get into trying to make a knife, right? Mm-hmm. And it, so I just have access to this steel, and this is kind of what I have. More of the focus for me should be around how I'm designing and getting that blade to a shape and treating that metal even more than the steel itself. Does that make, like, if I'm trying to make. And this is probably a terrible question because you're looking at me very quizzically. <laughs> I may just cancel that question altogether. No, no, it's okay. But. I, I guess like if I uh, like I just wanted to make a basic hunting knife, you know, and it, so I buy a block of steel and or get a fi- files like grinding files seems to be a thing for making knives mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, 
in that case, it, it, because I may be like trying to get some skin off an animal or whatever, mm-hmm. and I may be, you know, cutting through a bone with the same knife. It's really a little bit more about the physical structure and design of the blade more like not more than the metal, but that would be the determining factor over its success. Does that make sense? It does. And I don't know that you would say necessarily it's one more than the other. They're both kind of necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you could make a knife just out of mild steel. And if you had the right shape to it, like it would cut really well. It just wouldn't cut really well, very long. Right. If you had a good, a good blade steel and then you had terrible edge geometry, it wouldn't cut very well at all. But, but I guess it would do it for not a long well time. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, you have Wait, both. I feel like all knives can cut not well for a long time. <laughs> well, There's it's a... <laughs> more of a gouge than a knife at that point. <laughs> the lowest common denominator so, there. So let's say that one of us here wanted to start making knives. Mm-hmm. What are some, like, what, three or four things that we'd need to get started in knife making? Well, I guess you kind of have to decide if you're wanting to do. Uh, forging or stock removal, which are mm-hmm. both valid ways of doing it. With stock removal, you take you know a bar or a sheet of steel and you cut it out with maybe a bandsaw or an angle grinder, the basic shape of the knife, mm-hmm. and then you could uh, file it. You could use you could use files and sandpaper to get the shape you wanted, um, or you could use a grinder, which is what I use, which is basically a, a large like belt sander. A lot faster. It's a lot faster, <laughs> yeah. but, but it takes away. No, I'm kidding. But you it know, a person away, a person but... could get started with a hacksaw or a drill press or things like that to cut out the actual shape and mm-hmm. then use files and sandpaper to get, you know, your bevels on there and everything right. and make a good knife. Mm-hmm. It'll just take you longer. Yeah. Um, or if you're going the, the bladesmithing route, um, then you need a hammer and an anvil and, uh, you need, however you're going to finish it out with, it could be files again and sandpaper, or you could have some sort of belt sander or grinder. Um, you can heat treat with your forge, which is kind of the good thing if you're going the bladesmithing route is you already know how you're heat treating it. Um, if you're doing the stock removal route, then you got to figure out how you're going to heat treat it, which could be you build a forge, even though you're not, <laughs> even though you're not uh, doing the uh, bladesmithing thing. Or it could be that you send it off to somewhere because there are a few places that you can send it off to to have a uh, blade heat treated. And I guess some of that might depend too on like, is your interest more around making a knife or learning to blacksmith, right? Because you could make a knife mm. either way, but I feel like the cost of entry into just stock removal is probably a little bit less. Oh, yeah. Then you can get into blacksmithing relatively inexpensively, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like stock removal would probably still yeah. be a little bit cheaper. So if you're just looking at making a knife, I mean, would you agree with that or? I mean, it just really depends on, you know, where you're, where you're wanting to go with it. I, I mean, I would think if you wanted to make a knife and you wanted to do the forging part, do it. Right. You know, I would recommend, I mean, know, even if you just, even if you just did the forging, you know, some people forge it pretty close to shape and then just kind of yeah. file on the edge a little just bit. a little you know? both. <laughs> and forging is cool because it does so, it's not, I mean, I guess a grinder does more than just make a knife, but. Learning how to forge something, to me, you know, that 
I was looking at it because I was thinking about doing like a twisted iron thing for a, a bench or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just thinking like, oh, if I can heat up this metal, I can twist this thing. So blacksmithing really, because you can make your own tools. You can, I, last time we talked about making the hammer you need, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> although you'd need a hammer to make the hammer. Yep. But <laughs> Chicken egg. Right. right? <laughs> but that you can, you can make other tools you need. You can make pieces of furniture. You can make r- rings, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't you know can, if you do you that can, in a forge, you can but forge a ring. so see. So did you see Lord like... of the Rings? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get all of my crafting ideas from S- Sauron. <laughs> oh, Can't so take uh, how do I get the you. spell in this? <laughs> oh my god, you made that sound romantic almost. Uh-huh. Well, it is sort of a love story. <laughs> I'm not talking about Frodo and Sam. Oh man, there's so many love oh. stories in Lord of the Rings. Oh yes, uh, we should just make rings for each other. Mm. No, no, not yet. Okay, I like <laughs> a few more episodes. <laughs> yeah, belt. few more episodes in. I got a leather apron for you. <laughs> that's practically a ring. Yeah. Well, I'd say that the <laughs> uh, rings on. your dad made that for me. Yeah, that's he knew fair. I Actually, my dad likes you more than he likes me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so from the, on the blacksmithing side, so on the stock removal, I need sandpaper, a file, and a piece of metal, basically, and arguably some way to kind of get a rough shape cut out. Yeah, I, yeah and I'd recommend a, a hacksaw drill press or something. there, too, if oh. you can. I mean, you could use a drill, but it's mm-hmm. hard to drill nice straight holes. Oh, right. Yeah. And then on the blacksmithing side, on the forging side... That same stuff, plus a forge and an anvil and a hammer, right? <laughs> so, see, it is more expensive. But <laughs> you said any heavy piece of steel would work as a an anvil. Yeah, right. it just had Possibly. to be relatively hard, right? Mm-hmm. Right, people, people in the... You know, a long time ago, they've used rocks for an anvil, pieces like a meteorite. Yeah, People yeah, I have some of those just like hanging actually, around. Yeah, just mm-hmm. use that for an anvil if you've got. So, a I'm gonna have to break into the museum the next. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to Crater right, Lake. We're gonna <laughs> dive down to the bottom. Go to Murfreesboro, find some diamonds. I'm just making a diamond anvil. <laughs> Sparkly. Uh, so for like, you could don't. Last time I feel like you said something that you could make a forge. You can. There's there's a like, lot of different relatively ways. easily. There, uh, one time I saw uh, Bob Patrick, who's a really great blacksmith. Um, he made a quick forge, you know, just while we were watching, just out of like an old metal bucket, and put a bunch of ash in there, and then use like a little blower. You could use like a hair dryer or something, mm-hmm. and just you know run like a little tubing down into there, a little pipe. And so if you got some air blowing up through. You know, some sort of form. People have made forges just in the ground with a pipe, yeah, and a hair dryer. There's a guy that uh, I'm friends with on Facebook that's making a machete, and that's what he did. Is there's a hair dryer and a metal tube that's like duct taped, right, going over to these cinder blocks that's sort of partially dug out with coal, mm-hmm. and he's got this iron in there, and he's hammering it out on a like an, an anvil he bought from Harbor Freight, possibly, mm-hmm. or no, his grandfather's anvil. That's what got him started, and so he's. Doing it to it, but that's the right, setup I mean, he has: not... is a hair dryer and a tube. Yeah, anvils have experienced yeah. a commercial marketplace skyrocketing in price they, over they the last have couple of years. A expensive, mm-hmm. they're insane. Even some not so good ones I've seen. Well, what people are asking for them on like marketplace, you know. Facebook well, I mean that's like anything else. Somebody yeah. says, "Hey, those things go for a thousand bucks now." So my really torn up, beat up one. It, but do you think that many people are bucks. getting into blacksmithing? Yeah, I think with the Forged in Fire thing, you know, a lot of people that weren't into it are seeing it, and it looks interesting and fun, and it is. So, yeah. uh, 
it makes sense. And a lot of people complain about it, which I can understand because I would rather be paying like $300 for an anvil than $900 for an right. anvil. But I mean, the truth of it is if you're trying to buy that anvil, if you were buying it new, it's going to be like a $2,000 anvil. So mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like the, the actual brand new prices have skyrocketed. It's the, the, the anvil that somebody found in the barn is that those prices have skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the price of a quality anvil hasn't really changed that much. So when that guy bought that anvil originally, it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's almost more like people are realizing the value of a tool. Gotcha. So yeah. It's kind of like people complain about anvil collectors. And personally, I think, hey, that's good. If this, you know, a tool that actually has a value, it might be nice if, you know, somebody who appreciates the, the actual tool. And a lot of the tools and anvils that we're using, they're, you know, they may be a hundred years old. Right. So, you know, there is some historical value to some of these. Mm-hmm. And if if there's one that's in really good shape, it might be nice that it sits somewhere for another 20 years and somebody else picks it up and then it's around in 200 yeah. years. Yeah. Rather no, than scrap true. it. You know, that's another yeah. thing. People think money because it's like so much a pound and they're heavy. Or like, when this wasn't it the Second World War? Some of those things, you were lucky in certain, certain areas if they survived because there was a... People right, were gotta, scrapping gotta them to tanks. right yeah. to do that. This is something you're working actively at trying to make a full time mm-hmm. job. Yeah, at some point. Well, I guess it's not at some point, right? That's like a, a year <laughs> right and a now. Half yeah, or like, no. I feel like you should get started if you're not. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, enough stuff. Enough stuff. You might be the only person we've talked to that I know of that's in a transition like that. So we have people that are. This is what I do for a living. Like this is what pays the bills. We have people that this is a hobby. This is what I, I enjoy doing it. It's fun. It's extra money, whatever. Um, I think it's definitely an interesting place to live in. And I think a lot of people at the hobby stage are really thinking about like, if it's something you love to do, how could I do this? Right? Like how could mm-hmm. I transition over? Um, do you have any steps that you've thought about or any advice that you would give in that aspect of it? Like what are you doing now that you feel is really kind of like making this a more serious I have a deadline. I've got to get this at a certain level in a certain time. Well, I just kind of have goals on the kind of stuff I want to be able to make. So I'm trying to get my quality up all the time. I'm trying to get my tooling up. And so pretty much anytime I sell something, it just goes into buying more things to make more things. Um, and I'm trying to get my name out there more. So I've got, you know, the got a YouTube channel when mm-hmm. on Forged in Fire, though that wasn't really specifically like <laughs> business plan. But I guess maybe they'll have a champions helps, event though. and you can get back on. And yeah, well, they do periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just kind of keep hammering at it. I don't know. I want to say Brian Tomberlin once told me who's a really good master smith. Just just do something every day. So you know, if you just keep at it. You know, if you quit, yeah, it isn't going to work. Or if you do it like once a month, it's probably not going to be super awesome. But if, if you are doing something every day, that's that's pretty helpful, I think. Um, so you're trying to be pretty consistent. Like from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., I'm going to be out in the shop. I'm going to be doing be. something. I'm terrible at it. You know? <laughs> but I, a lot of my doing stuff every day is not always actually doing the making every day. You know, it could be I do a lot of research. Right. You know, so thinking of ideas and how to do things that I don't know how to do. Right. Coming up with game plans and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
yeah, ideally you were doing something every day physically. Are you starting to do more like craft shows or gun and knife shows? Yeah, I have, or... I have started doing more local stuff. Previously, I'd just done knife shows, and so I started doing some of the, the craft shows locally to try to uh, increase where I where people know me here locally mm-hmm. versus just general knife people. Is there any desire to produce like a, like maybe a, a simpler, more ready-made, I can do a mass quantity of these knives. They're at a price point that's a little more friendly to like the average clothesline fair, war eagle mill craft um, goer or are, yes you, and are no. you looking to like, I'm going to do this. This is, this is what I'm I, gonna do. I do a little bit of both. I don't I don't make anything like real cheap. Right. So, you know, I go to a lot of these things and people are going to pick up a knife and say, oh, that's, hey, cool knives. Hey, I've heard of this guy. Awesome. And then like, oh, that's $200 or, oh, right. that's $400. And then, well, it, there isn't much I can do on that. I try to sell some smaller items and t-shirts and things like that. But also at the same time, you know, if you're going to try to sell a $1,000 knife, or two thousand dollar knife that are they really going to want to buy it from the guy who's selling the you know the the thirty dollar knife yeah i think you, could, you, <laughs> it, could, you, you don't want it to devalue it, so. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but at the same time there i think that there there is value to having a more value price knives and i like having the more expensive price knives so it's kind of i haven't made a decision to not do one or the other i I like to kind of make both, but I don't do like a really cheap knife, but right. I do have some that are, you know, 200 ish dollar right. kind of knives. Um, but even those for a lot of people are, that's a lot of sticker shock. I think that, yeah. 200. Yeah. I think that's definitely a decision that has to be made, you know, like, but I think once you've made that decision, it's something that you, you know, my dad, you kind of, you didn't say the name, but Ray Johnson is the guy in Silver Dollar City, mm-hmm. and his knives are not inexpensive. And I know for my dad, that was like save up for a year, basically. He would buy, he bought three of them, and each one of his kids will inherit one. Mm-hmm. And uh, But for him, some of it was the process of the fact that you couldn't just go in and buy it for 50 bucks, you know, like right. that it is an investment and that it meant something to him, and there was an effort in attaining that thing adds to more than just the price tag of the knife as well. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was an experience to obtain Mm -hmm. it. And so I think that that's, um, I don't think that's a bad place to be. You know, I think like if that is what you are shooting to create, it's fair to protect that as being something special, you know, because if everybody, like I have, I have my Ray Johnson knife now, and that's something I know. Like, not a lot of people have mm-hmm. a Ray Johnson knife, and it's something I have some pride in, you mm-hmm. know. And I think it's a beautiful um, knife. Well, but I, I think that, and this is something that I've said with a lot of the, a lot of people, if they're coming to Allen Newberry for a knife, they're buying an Allen Newberry knife. They're not buying a lock blade that they bought that's like a Pakistan blade, you know, it's, they are coming to you for what you produce. So that's another thing, you know, is that people will be comfortable paying that just like the Ray Johnson knife that your dad bought. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the name, it's the quality, it's something that they're seeking out specifically to go. So to offer, you know, an inexpensive knife would be, it'd be different for you. But I think if people are seeking you out and they know who you are, they're going to pay, this is the style of knife I want. And they already know, and they're willing to pay that because it's, it is yours. Right. You they know? kind of have to be 
educated buyers, I think, to mm-hmm. be like some oh, yeah. somebody that's going to buy a knife like that. I mean, some people, yeah, two hundred dollars is not a big decision, but I think for most people, two hundred dollars is a relatively big decision. So you're probably mm-hmm. not going to first time ever hearing of a guy mm-hmm. just pop down the two hundred dollars. So it may be that they have to see me a few times and think about Research. it a few times yeah. or look most it definitely. up, look me up on the internet, or you know, see mm-hmm. it in a magazine or a book or something before they. Or a museum. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's that's that, gonna seal the deal right there. That actually, yeah. I mean, but that, <laughs> that is kind of saying something like yeah. this: that that you're not a guy making a knife in a garage. You are a guy <laughs> well, making yes, a knife I in am, a garage. Well, but it's not just a. You're not a, you're not me making a knife in a garage, which nobody would want to buy that knife. But <laughs> that you are a person that has, I think, as you learn more. To your point, my dad went to Ray Johnson and watched his presentation, talked to mm-hmm. him a number of times for a long time before he was willing to make that commitment. And I think mm-hmm. some of it was he in, he in some ways fell in love with the person, the person mm-hmm. of Ray Johnson. And you were getting a piece of that person's uh, personal expression, right. Mm-hmm. In a way. And so I think that knowing you and getting and spending the time with you over multiple fairs or conventions or whatever would happen. Yeah. Had, you know what I mean? Like right, it, no, it is about the knife maker as much as yes. it is even the blade. Oh, heck yeah! Right. I mean, that's that's the same thing with I don't know a lot of other things. You know, art, yeah, and that kind of stuff. You know, if your if your name was Picasso, you could draw a stick figure of a guy, and then somebody will sell it for you know eight hundred dollars. So I'm changing my name. Well <laughs> done, Daniel Picasso. <laughs> Deep P Quinn. Yep. <laughs> no DPP. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dope. So what are uh, we usually ask everyone this also? What are what are your rules in this shop? The rules? Mm-hmm. Wear sandals. Wear sandals. Yeah. <laughs> well, we I don't usually one. wear sandals when I'm actually making things, but mm-hmm. uh, I well I would usually wear like what I'm wearing here. Aside from the shirt is not right. quite right, but jeans and you know leather shoes. Um, but rules. Uh, don't hurt yourself. That's probably the that would be the big one. Mm-hmm. It's fair. Yeah. Don't hurt other people. Yeah, that would be good too. But usually people hurt themselves. Mm, that's probably fair. Yeah. yeah. It's hurt like people hurt people. A lot of hot fire. Hurt people. Hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cycle of I don't know abuse yeah. in there in the shop. <laughs> shop abuse. What What are some things that you carry with you every day? Like you don't leave your house without it or the shop. Um. Let's see. Well, I've got a flashlight, and then I guess I'm redundant on flashlights because my phone mm-hmm. also would be a flashlight. Yeah, still. Um, but flashlight is super handy. It's mm-hmm. amazing how many times I use a flashlight. Um, I'd say every day I use a flashlight mm-hmm. for something. Um, I, have, I have some mace, so that's good if you have to spray somebody in the eyeballs. Or... Uh, if in, in my case a, out is here, is that a scenario that you encounter that frequently? Not that, that you, frequently. Like, but I you mean, never know. That's a point of an everyday out of carry. The last right? ten years, <laughs> how many When's eyeballs the last have time I sprayed? You sprayed some of the eyeballs with mace. I was getting close to thinking I was going to have to spray one guy, 
But I didn't. Okay, so Brooklyn being accepted. Well, that was Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, Arkansas is Brooklyn. But really, a lot of that, too, is, is out here, you know, where it's kind of rural, and then there's right. dogs that are yeah. barky right. and loose, and, you know, I figure I'd rather... Fine, have I'd a rather, reason. I would rather mm-hmm. spray the dog than shoot the dog, so... Yeah. Same thing with people. Valid, valid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well... Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Mason Bruce asked <laughs> questions later. I'm yeah. glad you knew we were coming over. <laughs> and then, uh, what, I have a knife. Uh, well, sometimes more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that just advertising, though, more than, like, utilitarian? Well, if I think if I was... Do you just, like, wear them on it arm would be bands, good. like, down Have your... you got a watch in this jacket? <laughs> <laughs> kid? Just a trench coat of yes. knives. Of knives. This is my jackets. everyday carry. Yeah, you don't want to fall down wearing it, though. <laughs> Could be killing. Well, I knew you guys asked that question. I thought it would be fun if right. I had just stuffed my pockets. <laughs> oh, with dude, be like the Joker. Oh, <laughs> like just keep pulling all kinds of stuff on the table. Yeah. Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the one that I carry actually is like tiny. Let's see, I'll reach over here, mm-hmm. pull it out here. Wait, you're actually carrying your everyday carry. It's a it's a back pocket kind of thing, but the blade's only like what an inch and a half long, so it's a tiny. It's a tiny little guy, but it opens boxes and cuts right. things, like yeah. which is what mostly you do. You probably wouldn't want to, like, uh, I don't know, fillet a fish with it so much, no. but goldfish. I don't do that all that often. <laughs> so without but you brought it up a couple knife. times. I feel yeah. like you you think about filleting <laughs> fish a lot. Oh yeah, that's really. So you want to fish? <laughs> we have a guy that makes flies. It may. Ooh, you may need to you talk guys could to. Pair yeah. up. He'll yeah. catch them. Yeah. He actually knows him. of you too. He'd be thrilled. Hey, that's cool. I yeah. did hear his episode. So. Yeah. That's him. John right. Sandy was a great guy. Oh, yeah. A, I mean, not that he's passed. He was a great person <laughs> to interview. Great <laughs> he's alive and well and dragged back from God Colorado. Rest Colorado I, think. I think, yeah. <laughs> I said, that was Jeez. the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. No, yeah. Doug Cotton. Thank you. Oh, oh no, no, Doug no, Cotton. Yeah. He was yeah. John Sandy. Yes. That's right. Whew, we're hitting the big good. time. It, it is kind of funny to, like, for... I was thinking about this as we were coming back to do this, how much that initial interview inadvertently set... A lot of what followed, like the fact that we interview people on Wednesdays at 7.30 is because that's when Alan and I can right. get together. Yeah, it's because I have to hit, my kid goes to bed at 7. Yeah. <laughs> so like then he's like, like totally. Go to bed. The, uh, how much we referenced that interview that nobody had ever heard. Like, yeah. We, Who's like, that guy? Yeah. We like, yeah. It's in our uh, unreleased archives. In the, yeah. So eventually as little probably, as a dollar be on our month, Patreon. You can, yeah. Yeah. You can. Be on our Patreon site. We will. I think because that first interview <laughs> really went well. Just the audio wasn't that oh, great yeah. on our end, yeah. which was our fault. But the, but the interview is pretty funny. So just at some point, for Alan only. I will put it up on, <laughs> yeah, you can hear you and me and it's just no Aaron. It's so like me, like an occasional, <laughs> but, uh, we will put that up on Patreon at some point. Cause I think it's, it's, a it's funny for all. If you like, can't great get enough of me reasons. right now, yeah, you can yeah. get another two hours. That interview yeah. went for a oh long time. And if that doesn't we work, check <laughs> me out on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you still doing the YouTube thing? Like I yeah. am. I, I kind of like slowed down a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to be filming some more. I, 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 lo- like... I lost some footage here last mm. week for one that I was going to be putting up, but, um, I will reshoot. <laughs> that's kind of a job in itself is yeah. making a YouTube video. But I feel like right now that the there's there's a hunger for blacksmith. I mean, with the rise of anvil prices, like we talked about, with the popularity of Alex Steele's channel, with uh, like 
even this old Tony, I finally started watching yep. it. You were telling me about that. Mm-hmm. And so like the machining channels are starting to pick up yeah. because these things are becoming a little bit more attainable. Uh, and I think the popularity of the maker movement and people kind of being expanding their horizon past woodworking or past mm-hmm. like some of the things that were kind of considered more home well, shop. There's, there's a lot of people that will comment on like certain things I'm doing and they're like, Oh, my grandfather had that. He also did this. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a, I don't want to say homage because we say that a lot in a lot of the episodes, but it's a lot of people saying, well, this is something my grandfather did. I'd love to get into that because I'd sit on the stool and just watch, you know. I think they are very readily available, a lot of these things yeah. are. I mean, but I support you having a YouTube channel because yeah. I think, one, I like watching you. I think you're really, you're an easy guy to listen to. Yep. You know, you're very personal and very, like, uh, warm, I think, and when the videos I've watched of you, everything seems very clear. Like it's not confusing. It seems very simple. Like you make it look easy and you explain it in a, in an accessible way. Well, sir, thanks for having us back, but we have one One, last question. One last question. And you should be the most prepared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Finish the sentence. Okay. Alan. Do you remember your answer yeah. from last yeah. time? Because for Patreon listeners, they'll get to compare. Oh, my gosh. They're probably going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Hey, times change, man. Mm-hmm. Well, then they, they that's do. the thing. The Patreon people get two answers. That, oh, Ooh, there you double, go. Two times the month. You know, double right, the It's fun? a two for one, yes. Yeah. It's like okay. that double mint gum commercial. <laughs> Where'd those go? Double the flavored? I don't know. The gas station that people give up and throw it back on the register and walk out. Um, <laughs> I wish I could. And you do the same weird stuff that I'm doing now, but on a larger scale. Ah, so just a four-car garage. <laughs> well, it'd be a separate building. <laughs> <laughs> I think okay. if you get up to that many garages, yes, with a moat. Oh, <laughs> <And> crocodiles! Oh, <laughs> that's right, a moat. <laughs> I think I you wanted a moat last time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Drawbridge. Yeah, but you see, have that kind works. of a medieval theme going on. Has anybody told you this before? We yeah, did. You guys did. <laughs> yeah, that, that was did. the first medievalish theme. Uh, mead sort of. making, <laughs> falconry, falc- a moat. Oh my god! Do you do bloodletting? <laughs> Actually, I did. Buy, you go to a lot of Renaissance I fairs. I recently bought <laughs> right. a bloodletting knife on eBay. Look what I did is produced by Aaron Dodson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Tyler Orsack and Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Hill.